Good morning, and welcome again to Rancho Baptist Church. We are thrilled that we have the opportunity to spend time together in the Lord's house, worshiping Him and Him alone. This morning, we are continuing to work our way through the book of Acts, watching Jesus at work. So you can turn to Acts chapter 10. And as you turn there, let me give you a little bit of a recap with where we've been, where we're going. Last week we saw these these two visions. One came to Cornelius, one came to Peter. And as I've entitled this sermon this morning, Two Worlds Collide, that is what we are going to see. The world of the Jews, which is represented by Peter. The world of the Gentiles, which includes most of us, represented by Cornelius. And as I considered even what we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 10 this morning, I kept thinking about what happens generally when two worlds collide. And I'm not so much talking about World Cup soccer, although that's exciting. Generally, when two worlds collide, that there's a potential for all sorts of disaster. And as we were serving the Lord as missionaries overseas in Papua New Guinea, we, we saw some of the disastrous results of, of two worlds colliding in a way that just didn't work. Why? Because one culture did not understand the culture of the next. And as a result, they came in and they disrupted that culture, dishonored that culture, and, and as a result, all sorts of craziness ensued. Oftentimes, when we would see something like this happen, it, it would kind of be related towards food. And that may seem strange to you and I, but in Papua New Guinea, there's a lot more to food than just eating it. There tends to be a, a, an animistic belief wrapped up in food that, that ties it in with spirits. And so as you would go, or I would go, or if you join us, when, when we will take, and we will, we will take a, a, a trip over to Papua New Guinea, and we will visit the, the village that we worked in, and, and we would love to see many from our RBC family come and join us. And, and perhaps you will come and join us. And, 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 and I want you to listen to this so that you do not make the same mistake that this woman made. If you were to come to Papua New Guinea, no doubt you would go to a great big village market. And when I say a village market, you need to picture something like a swap meet. Something like rows and rows of, of people selling food and they'd be sitting on the ground and they'd have sheets or tarps or, or a blanket or something thrown out in front of them that then would have that particular food that they brought from their garden and they'd display it and usually they'd have like a, a, a little marker that told you how much that particular item was. So if you went over to buy some lettuce, it would probably say 30 cents. If you went over to buy a pineapple, it would probably say one kina, which is the equivalent of, of, you know, 80 cents. And you'd be all excited because the Papua New Guinea bananas are the best bananas in the world. The pineapples are the best pineapples in the world. And you'd just start buying everything and, 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 and you'd be so excited. But you would have to remember that this is Papua New Guinea. This is not America. And as such, if you got so excited that you saw the best pineapple over there, and there was a, a woman right in front of you with all of her food strewn out this way. And you thought, oh, well, why do I need to go around her food? I can just kind of step over her food like that to, man, to get this wonderful pineapple. The problem is if you did that, that particular woman would, would interpret that as 
your spirit and, and the essence of who you are is now interacting with her food that she got from her garden and you could possibly get her sick or work some sort of magic on her. And as a result, when you go to Papua New Guinea and you go to these markets, you do not step over anyone's food. What happened one time is we were in one of these villages, a huge, a huge market in a village. We, we, we heard all this disruption happening in the, in the back of the marketplace and it, and, and as you could almost follow what was going on as, as this group got upset and then that group got upset and that group got, well there was a woman back there who knew nothing about Papua New Guinea culture and, and she was stepping over people's food and, and finally somebody got so upset they stood up and started screaming at her. Everyone else back there started screaming at her. And everything was escalating and it was, it was, it was turning into disaster. Praise the Lord. Whoever came with her must have noticed what was going on. They went over and they grabbed her. They, they didn't try to dispute. They didn't try to debate. They, they didn't try to talk down anybody. They grabbed her and they literally ran her out of that particular market right into their van and took off. They didn't ask any questions. They didn't turn around to see what was going to happen. Why? Because they knew that this was a very, very scary situation. Because people would get so hurt that you'd get pummeled. If that woman had stayed there, she would have been harmed. And why is that? Because oftentimes when two worlds collide, they don't collide well. They're they're not... They're not Two worlds where where they collide and everything is just peachy keen. And yet what we're going to see today is we're going to say that that we're going to see that when these two worlds collide, that everything is good, that there is peace, there is grace, there is love. There is a preparation on both sides to where they lovingly accept each other. And why is that? Why do these two worlds collide so wonderfully? Because God is in control. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has been directing the steps every step of the way. And that's what we saw last week. We saw the beginning in these two visions. And today what we're going to see are, are, are two encounters. And all of this speaks to the fact that the Lord, He is in control. And His timing, as we will see, is perfect. So turn with me, if you haven't turned there yet, to Acts chapter 10. And we will be looking at verses 17 to 33. This morning, where two worlds collide, all for the purpose of welcoming in the Gentiles, welcoming in everyone outside of really the Jewish realm into Christ's church. And if this didn't happen, you and I would still be excluded. But this was Christ's plan from the beginning. This is what He desired His apostles to do, to take His Word out so that the whole world would know. Verse 17, starting there. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius having asked directions for Simon's house appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? 
They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up! I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent for me. Cornelius said four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have come now, we have opened Your Word for no other reason but the reason that Cornelius had told Peter that they were gathered before You in order to hear from You. Lord, that is why we are here this morning. We're not here to to hear some man's musings, my thoughts, even my stories, but to hear your wonderful word. So we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now, that you would allow your spirit to make your word clear and evident in our lives, that you would go before us and speak to us with power by your Holy Spirit in a way that only He can do. In Jesus' name, Amen. So as I said, last week we saw these two extraordinary visions. Today we're going to see two extraordinary encounters. And even though you and I may not think of them as extraordinary, as, as something out of the norm, they indeed are. Both of the account with what we're going to see first, Peter and these three men sent by Cornelius, and then with Peter and Cornelius and his family and friends in the second encounter. But what really makes these encounters so extraordinary, so crazy, so special, is the fact that the Lord has been directing and has been timing all of these things all the way through. And so as a result, we are going to see that the Lord's timing is perfect. We're not just going to see this once, we're going to see this several times. That the Lord planned all these things in this crazy sequence to happen at exactly this particular time, at this particular point. Why? To teach us that He is in control. 
And that should be an encouragement to you and I that when our lives get totally out of control and totally flipped upside down and we have no idea what the Lord is doing, what the Lord is trying to teach us, that we can remember this, that He is in control. And just as Peter didn't understand, the Lord did. And the Lord was using all these things for what? For preparing Peter, for preparing the Gentiles and Cornelius to hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we're going to see today. This morning, on display, we are going to see just how great our Lord is and how He is in control of all things. And yet first, what we are going to see very clearly is that the Lord leads, the Lord guides, the Lord directs. And this is not just going to be seen in the life of these three men that were sent by Cornelius. But we're going to see this in the life of Peter. But first we see it in the life of these three men. Look at verses 17 and 18. As we see so clearly, the Lord is leading. The Lord leads. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, so we know that that Peter is still totally confused as to what that particular vision meant. With the sheet coming down and back up three times and all those animals on it, he's, he's, he's totally confused, but we see that he's still up on top of the roof. And then it says this, Behold, as a way of getting our attention. Hey, right at this time, look what happens. The men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. So we see here that that the Lord is definitely leading these men. And yet, look at the way that the Lord leads these men. He doesn't lead them through some shining light, some star over Simon's house. He doesn't come to them in a vision. He leads them through very, what I would call normal means. He leads them through just normal men. And then something that is probably uncharacteristic for us men, they actually stop and ask for directions. Right? All of you women, you understand. We're not good at asking directions. And so for all the things that these guys have been communicated to by Cornelius about what happened, there's something that's still missing. And maybe it's the importance of the mission that Cornelius sent them on. That they didn't want to miss this. They didn't want to waste any extra time by knocking on too many doors. So what did they do? They actually seek out counsel from just normal guys. Hey, where, do they, where, where, where does this guy live? And yet in this, we see the Lord uses that to direct them. Don't always think that the way that the Lord is going to lead you and guide you is through some extraordinary means. That you're going to get up in the morning after you've taken your shower and the Lord's going to say, go to Papua New Guinea. Written in the, you know, on your mirror with the mist. That, that, sorry, that, that didn't happen with us. Sometimes the Lord chooses to use very normal means, even unsaved men, to lead us. Perhaps your boss doesn't know the Lord, and yet the Lord uses him to direct you. Or perhaps the Lord could use something even like the internet if you're looking for a job to direct you to that next position that He has for you. The Lord isn't limited by 
the way that you and I think in terms of the way that he leads. He can lead us through very normal means as he's doing here. Also notice here something so amazing that, that you might just miss. And, and that is the timing of the Lord. That is the grace of the Lord. Although we see that Peter definitely is greatly perplexed, he's confused, he still isn't sure exactly what that vision meant. The Lord isn't going to keep him there. He's, he's not going to keep him in the state of confusion forever. That, that is not our God. But there is a point where the Lord keeps him in a place to where he wants him to be patient and he wants him to trust in him. And he wants him to place his faith in him and him alone. And yet what Peter doesn't even understand that while he's up on the rooftop, while he's praying to the Lord, trying to fi- figure out what, what is going on and so confused, the, the Lord's already got this. The Lord actually sent these men the day before when Peter didn't even know about the vision. And now that Peter has the vision and he's still up on the roof, these men come. The only way that that we could say that could happen is to recognize that the Lord is in control and that the Lord's timing is perfect. And, And doesn't that encourage you? Doesn't that encourage me when things seem to go upside down? And we have no idea what the Lord is doing. And yet we can trust in Him just as Peter is trusting in Him. And you know what happens? Over time, the Lord will lead, just as He does in Peter's life. Look at verses 19 and 20, as we see that it is not just these three men that the Lord leads through a normally common means. In this case, He's going to lead Peter in in a different way. Verses 19 and 20. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, notice that. So that, that's a different Greek word. That's a different thing that he's doing now. It, it isn't just that he was extremely confused. But, but now we see while he's up there, he's actually contemplating. He's trying to figure it out. He's mulling this whole vision over in his mind again and again and again. He's trying to make sense of it. He's not just staying in this state of confusion. While he's reflecting on the vision, the Spirit. Notice, capital S, that's because it's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I've sent them myself. Notice who is doing the leading here. It's the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, Pastor Jason. I I thought we learned last week that Cornelius sent these men. So is it... Cornelius is it the well right here it said the Holy Spirit sent these men. The Holy Spirit used Cornelius to send these men to him. But the Holy Spirit is the one behind everything that's going on. He is the one that is in control. So ultimately it's not Cornelius that sent these men to him, but it is the Lord himself. Why? Because the Lord is in control. And notice the timing of when all of this happens. For some reason, As Peter is upstairs on the roof, he can't hear them coming to the front gate, to the front door, however that worked. He's still totally clueless. And yet, what does the Lord do in His grace? He says, hey, Peter, stop what you're doing. Obviously, Peter was on the on the ground somehow. He tells him to get up. That is a command. I want you to go down there. And then I want you to go with these men. And, and, And when he says, without misgivings, 
He's not just saying, oh, I want you to go without wavering in your mind, which he does mean. He's not just saying, I want you to go without hesitating, which is what he means. It's more than that. He's also saying, I want you to go without making any distinction. That's what this word means, without making any distinction. No doubt he's pointing Peter back to that vision. So he is instructing Peter even through this, through his commands. He's letting Peter know, hey, here's a way for you to apply this vision and what and what you've seen, what you've even heard from the Lord. So yes, I want you to go, but I don't want you to balk at it. I don't want you to, to try to argue with me, come up with some other reason. No, I just want you to go and I want you to recognize that when you go and you see these men, you are to make no distinction. Why is that important? Because when Peter gets downstairs, what the Holy Spirit hasn't told him is that these men are Gentiles. And as being Gentiles, he should have nothing to do with them. And yet he's supposed to have everything to do with them. I believe the Lord gives us a really good way of understanding how he works in our lives in three different ways in these verses. In the life of Peter, something that you and I should take into our lives as a daily practice. The first is what we see is the Lord reveals truth. And how did he reveal truth to Peter? He revealed it to him in that vision. Okay, for you and I, as, as I said, you and I, we don't generally, we're not granted visions every day. This is a different time, and so the Lord is granting vision. Why? Because they didn't have the canon, the Scripture intact like we do. How does the Lord reveal new truth or even truth that we know that, that we are not assimilating and walking by to us? He does it as we spend time in the Word. That's why we come on Sunday mornings and we spend time in the Word, so that He can reveal truth to us. That is why you and I as believers much spent, must spend time in the Word daily. And allow the Lord to speak to us through His Word to reveal truth to us. But we can't leave it there. And we see that in the life of Peter. What is the second thing that he is doing? He's not just having truth revealed to him by spending time in the Word. He, he is also what we see. He is meditating. He is contemplating on the Word. And that's what you and I must do. As we spend time in the Word and as God speaks to us of His incredible mercy then what do we think of that day? We need to contemplate. We need to regurgitate, as they would say in Siawi, in, in our village. You need to have that come up over and over and over and keep chewing on it. Keep chewing on it. Man, what does God's mercy look like in this particular situation? Lord, what do you want me to understand about your mercy and how I deal with my coworker? And then we see that it actually goes a step further. You see, it's not merely enough to have truth revealed. It's not merely enough to have truth meditated upon. But the final thing is what the Holy Spirit tells him to do with it. Action. You need an opportunity to put that truth that you have been meditating on to practice. You, you need to give it feet. You need to walk in the newness of that, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing with Peter. He's saying, okay, all that, that sounded good. Yep, and I'm even telling you what that vision meant. But now, Peter, I'm pushing you down the stairs and you get an opportunity to live it out. And let's see what's going to happen. Is Peter going to live that out or is he going to say, oh, no, you guys are Gentiles. Sorry, I know what you said, Holy Spirit, but it, you, it must have been something else. Must not have been you speaking to me particularly. It, it, it must have been someone else. 
Look at verses 21 to 23a. Just the first half of 23. To see how Peter responds. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. That, that is something new that we weren't told before. We are told who Cornelius was. We weren't told that he was well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. He was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So Peter's given a little bit more. Oh, now he knows. Oh, it's just not. I'm actually supposed to say something. I have a message for them. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. I believe what we see in verse 21 where, where it says that, that Peter, as he speaks to them, and, and how, how he initiates his greeting to them is, Behold! In the Greek, that is an attention getter. That is, hey, hey, look at me. But, but it's even more than that. I, I believe that there's some surprise in Peter's voice. He's saying, hey, this doesn't make sense for you or for me, but hey, yes, I'm here. And you are here. And, and why have you come? And, and what do they say? They point him back to Cornelius in the vision that he had. In order to let Peter know, hey, we're, we're not here by any other auspices, but the Lord. The Lord is leading. The Lord is guiding. The Lord is in control of all of these situations, Peter. That is what the Lord is saying to him. And so what, is, what does Peter do? He, he does the unthinkable. He invites them in and gives them lodging. That, that word to, to give lodging, it, it doesn't mean to, to just let them into that little front part of the house that, that you know anybody would come into. Or, or even tell them to kind of stay outside in the stable. It, it's, it, it, it's the idea of of, of welcoming or entertaining a guest who was a Jew. So in the same way that he would treat any Jew that, that came to his house and treat him with utmost respect and as the most well-respected guest, that is what he is doing with these men. This is not the norm. The norm is, oh, okay, yes, I got it. But it's too late now. We can't take off our Caesarea yet. So tell you what, guys, why don't you go down to that inn around the corner? And we'll meet tomorrow morning, sun up. All right, good. You guys good? I'm good. Let's. No, instead, he does the unthinkable. He invites them into his house, recognizing this would make him unclean. And, and yet we see the change going on in Peter's life. Added to this, just think about this. Where we're at, we're in Joppa. Do you remember what I said happens in Joppa? This is where Jonah is told by the Lord to go to the Ninevites. Why doesn't Jonah go to the Ninevites? Namely, because he believes that they're dogs. He believes that they are not worthy of receiving the mercy from Yahweh. Receiving God's mercy. So what he's saying, oh no, I know what's going to happen. If I go there, God's going to be gracious and he's going to be full of mercy and, 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 and it's not going to go, it's going to go good for them and I don't want it to go good for them. Why? Because I really think that they're kind of dogs. And so what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite direction. And now what does Peter do? He says, okay, Lord, I got you. I understand. These are the Gentiles. But I'm going to be gracious and loving towards them. I'm even going to 
lodge them. And then we see his obedience goes even further. Look at verse 23, the second half of it. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. Who's the he? That, that's Peter. Who's the them? That's these Gentiles. And yet, see what else it says. Went away with them and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. What? Wait, I don't remember reading that. The, the Lord, the Holy Spirit commanded Peter to go. And, and now we see Peter actually has invited some other Jews to come with him. We're going to find out later in Acts that there are six Jews that he invites and they're circumcised Jews. Well, why is he doing that? Is he stepping outside of, of God's will? Oh no, Peter, the Lord didn't tell you to do that. So, so you, no. It's still within what the Lord has revealed to him and he is just walking in accordance with what Peter thinks would be expedient, prudent, wise. We're not a bunch of robots that, that, that just discount the desires that the Lord is giving us as long as they function within His revealed Word. And what Peter is doing by inviting these other six men with him, that's not sinful. The Lord is guiding and leading Peter and then Peter is walking sort of in his own desires and, and within what he thinks is wise. And, and no doubt, part of the reasoning is that Peter sees, oh my, I wonder if that this thing that is going to happen with Cornelius in Caesarea is so huge that I should have some more witnesses there. That if it's just me and I come back to Jerusalem and I try to explain this, that, that that's not going to be enough evidence. And so you know what I'm going to do? is in, Instead of me going by myself, I'm going to bring some, some believers with me from Joppa. And then they can be eyewitnesses too. And that's exactly what happens. And so now we've seen the stage is set. For these two to come together as, as we see them both obey the Lord. And yet, they haven't met yet. Why? Because the Lord still has some more things to do. Some more preparation on both sides. And we see this in the last verses. Look at 24 to 26. As we see what happens when, when they finally arrive in Caesarea recognizing that it takes an entire day to go from Joppa to Caesarea. On the following day, he, that's Peter, entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. So on the following day, they end up coming to Caesarea. And Cornelius is so excited, it seems to, to give us the idea that he actually comes to the city gates. And then he, then he brings Cornelius to his And as it seems as, as they come into the front entryway of his house, what happens is he's coming in, he, he kneels down to give worship to Peter. Here we see the Lord instructing Cornelius through Peter. As Cornelius, even before he hears the gospel, he, he needs to be set straight on something. Who is worthy of worship? There's only one worthy of worship, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is what Peter teaches him. Hey, stand up. I am a man too. I don't deserve your worship. Nobody on earth deserves your worship. And in fact, if we looked at Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, we'd see that angels don't deserve our worship either. There's only one, and, and that is the Lord. And, and that is what Peter teaches him. 
But I must remind you and I that there is one that would love to receive our worship. He wanted to receive the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember in Matthew 4, as Satan comes and tempts Jesus, do you remember what one of the temptations was? Kneel before me. Worship me. And basically, I'll give you everything. Do you you know that Satan's desire hasn't changed? That he desires you and I would worship him. And yet he's very smart. And he's very tricky. And he's not going to present himself to you as as this terrible master of darkness. He's going to come to you and and he's going to hide it. And he's going to present it to you as, as a need for more money. As, as a need for more power or prestige. And, and you flip that, and not that money is, is bad uh, in and of itself, but when it becomes the love of money above anything else, above the Lord, then you are no longer worshiping the Lord, you are worshiping money. And those are the things that we need to be concerned with. And that is what he is teaching him. Look at verse 27. As he talked with him, as Peter talked with Cornelius, he entered and found many people assembled. I think that that little verb, he entered, is perhaps one of the most significant words that we see in all of chapter 10 up to this point. Why? Because as crazy as it was for Peter to invite people into his house that were Gentiles to spend the night, which really wasn't his house, it was Simon's. As crazy as that was, there is no way that a Jew would in his own mind invite or allow himself to go into a house of a Gentile that had invited him into the house. They would, he would have said, no way. I cannot do that. And yet, why is he coming into the house? I believe it's twofold and he, and he's explained this to us, but, but look at what he, what he says in verses 28 to 29. It's because he is now beginning to understand what the significance is of that vision. That it's not talking about food, it is definitely talking about people. And in particular, it's talking about the Gentiles, those outside the nation of Israel. Look at what he says, 28 to 29. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner to visit him. That makes us think that it's, that it's against the Levitical law. That, that, that what Peter is talking about is, oh yes, this is one of the commandments. That they, no, this, this wasn't one of the commandments, but this is one of their traditions that was passed on. And so from the time he was a little boy, this is what a Jew does not do. Hey, you can do this, this, but you cannot go into the house of a Gentile. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising an objection, any objection, when I was sent for. So I ask, for what reason you have sent for me? So Peter says, okay, I recognize and you recognize this is not the norm. I shouldn't have come for one and I definitely shouldn't have just now entered into your house. But I recognize that something has changed. The Lord is revealing something to me that is new. I can now associate with the Jews and I'm, or with the Gentiles and I am not supposed to look at them as being separated. 
He now gets it. And, and I believe what he is saying is he's saying this. He's saying two things. First, by not accepting the worship of this man, by not accepting Cornelius bowing before him and worshiping, he is letting him know, I am not God. And number two, he is letting all the Gentiles know by coming into their home that they are not dogs. That they are welcome at the table. That they are now included. And that is so significant in what the Lord is doing. Think about what Peter would have done if he hadn't been granted a vision. I don't believe any of this would have happened. And, and yet God in His goodness allowed all of this to happen to prepare Peter for this. But apparently with, with all the preparation that the Lord has done in the life of Peter, there's still something that seems to be missing, right? As now we see again, how, how does he, he end? 29. So, so I asked for what reason you've, you've sent for me. Well, Peter, you already asked that to the three. And now you're asking, well, what's, you know that you've come to tell him a message, but he still doesn't know exactly what that message is. And so we're going to see in the, in, in the final verses that the tables are turned. And instead of Peter doing the one who is now the teacher, we're going to see that Cornelius actually is used by the Lord to teach Peter and to prepare him for his final lesson before he can share the gospel with these guys. So look at verses 30 to, to 33. Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. Recognize here that this could be saying that, that when Cornelius originally had his vision is the same exact hour and time that Peter has shown up at his house. Why is that? Is that, that just happened randomly. Oh yeah, that's random. No, that's not random. That is the Lord. That is the Lord's perfect timing. And then he says, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, perhaps revealing to us why Cornelius was so afraid of this angel, because he knew he'd come from the Lord. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer, notice it's not prayers, your prayer, one, singular. I, I, I wonder if that one prayer had been a constant prayer from Cornelius, asking the Lord, please, I know there's more. I know there's more. Perhaps it's this Jesus of Nazareth but I don't quite grasp, but I don't understand. Your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is, called, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have commanded by the Lord. Notice Cornelius' response as to when he sent those men. He said, so I sent for you immediately. That word sent is the idea of being under orders. That he recognized that the, that the Lord had given him an order. And that order was to send these men to Joppa to find Peter. And I, I know much more than you and I would understand that this man, Cornelius, understood orders. He understood the significance of following an order immediately versus delayed obedience, which really is disobedience. Why? Because in his world, 
the men that served under him, the soldiers that were under him, when they were in the heat, the heart of the battle, and he gave them an order, and if they didn't respond and obey immediately, what would happen? Lives were at stake. And yet, sometimes when, when the Lord tells us to do something, we respond oh so flippantly. And, and we don't consider just how important it is. Cornelius understood this because he's a man that was always in the battle. And so what does he do? He responds. He obeys immediately. And then it, it also says this, which I think is so telling of the kind of man Cornelius was. He, he tells Peter, you have been so kind enough to come. He graciously extends his hand to Peter. And, and, and in a way, is, is trying to bridge the gap. Opening himself to Peter and whatever the Lord has. And Peter is now given the opportunity to shake his hand and accept this hospitality that he is offering, which normally a Jew would never have done. But Peter gets it. And then he tells him this at the, at the very end. He says, look, we're, we're all here. We're before God. We recognize that this is bigger than you, Peter. In fact, we don't even want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear whatever he has commanded you to say to us. That, that too is a, another word that's wrapped up in military term. It, there's lots of understanding behind this, that this is something that must be followed through in obedience to what somebody has told them to do as their orders. At this point, I believe everything becomes so clear for Peter. He now pins it back to, to Jesus' final words, right? That, that you need to go and you need to make disciples of all the nations, Peter. That includes these Gentiles. And so you need to take my good news that, that I came and that I died upon the cross for sinners. And that they need to turn to me in repentance and trust me fully. That is the message that you are to bring to this man, Cornelius. And notice who Cornelius brought. He didn't want to keep this for himself. Just like Peter bringing these six extra men, Cornelius, this was all for him. The vision was his vision. But he doesn't want to keep it to himself. He wants his whole family, all of his friends, no doubt his servants, to hear this message. Why? Because he knows that this message is life. How about you and I? Do we really recognize that this message is life? So important to us that we want to share it with everyone. And notice what the Lord has done. All those that were there, they were there for one particular purpose and reason, to hear whatever the Lord had told Peter to tell them. Man, this would be a, a missionary missionary's dream. This, this would be a preacher's dream. This would be an evangelist's dream. That, that the audience is, is totally prepared. And yet we see that, that Peter is now prepared. And next week we will see how the gospel goes forth and many, many respond. And, and yet through all of this we've, we've seen so clearly that the Lord, He is in control and that it is His perfect timing being on display again and again throughout these verses and Acts. Let me close with some, some points to ponder. Some things for you and I to consider. 
Number one, consider how the Lord in His perfect timing brings this entourage from Cornelius to Peter when he's confused and still trying to understand the vision. How does this encourage you to trust God with how things will work out when you're uncertain and confused about what's going on in your life and you don't know exactly what the Lord is thinking or what the Lord means and what He's telling you? That you can trust Him. Why? Because He's in control just as He is in control in the life of Peter and Cornelius. Second, consider how Cornelius sends for Peter right away. He understood that delayed obedience is really disobedience. Are there areas in your life and my life today where, where you need to stop delaying your obedience and, and start obeying right away? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do. We bask in your grace. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the fact that you have revealed so much to us about the early church, about the way that you lead, (coughs) about the way that you guide, and how you reveal truth to us and how gracious and patient you are with us. Thank you for being patient with Peter. And thank you for the example of Peter and Cornelius and their obedience. Help us to follow suit and to be much more like a Peter than a Jonah. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www. Dot Rancho Baptist Church dot org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.